And I think that's so important. If you really want to create something from nothing, that's what building a business is, is you are forcing something to happen in the world that does not exist, which is not easy. And it takes a lot of effort and focus. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. The last time I actually did an in-person podcast was actually with you when I just first moved to Bali, but we weren't talking about business or anything. We actually were talking about relationships. That was like 2019 probably, right? It would actually have been 2020 because I came into Bali in 2020 and I had just met you and I remember people were saying like, oh, you got to meet this guy, Danny. He's been like doing business. He runs a podcast as well. And yeah, at that time I didn't have a book, but I must have come with a good reference because you just said like, all right, let's do it. I'll bring you on. And yeah, that was the first time I got a chance to meet you. And from there, I got to watch your journey over those years, which I think evolved quite a bit in the last three years. Oh yeah. Same with you. Yeah. I mean, back then I had a pretty small agency and was just doing the whole agency thing. And then it was during COVID, especially that the agency grew a lot. Yeah. So, you know, everyone was locked down and everything like that. So I took that as an opportunity to just double down because we're all sitting at home anyways. So might as well sit in front of the computer and actually get something done. Yep. So listen, super excited to have you here. For everybody tuning in, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're going to notice that we're doing this in a different setting than usual. I found a few of the good people I know here in Bali that are doing incredible things. And Danny Carlson here is one of a good friends. He also has done something incredible when it comes to scaling his agency, building a business, getting lots of employees in the process, and actually recently has sold his business, Kenji ROI. The man has done so many fantastic things that I wanted to bring him on the podcast to share his experience with starting, scaling, and selling a business. I'm super excited to be able to produce this in a set at Lighthouse in Bali. This is a great place for people that do co-working and that want to record professionally. So I want to give a big shout out to Lighthouse for letting us use their studio for this recording. And with that, I'm super excited to get started with the Selling with Love podcast. Danny, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Yeah, glad to be on here, man. So as I was mentioning, you know, we had a chance to connect. We've been friends for a while, but what I've noticed from you is just the fact that you had a lot of discipline in the way that you were running your business. Like you've always come across to me with someone that has systems, process, and kind of this diligence in the process. And uh, I kind of wanted to go to the origins because you started as a professional athlete. You were doing a lot of longboarding and extreme sports activities. So where do you think that you transferred these types of habits you built in sports into getting you starting with a business? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because I grew up doing a lot of extreme sports. I like to do all kinds of sports, but around high school, I really just committed to extreme sports because it was just all self-directed. So I liked basketball and volleyball and things like that, but I would often get let down because it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but I was always like one of the best players on the team. And there was always like this one guy on the team or something that would just basically lose the game for everybody you know when you're in early you know elementary school and middle school they let everyone on the same team right so i'm like well screw that i just want to work harder than everyone else and i know that i can be better right so i really learned that just growing up going into the forest building mountain bike jumps it's a very tight feedback loop so if you put in the work and you go out there every day and you get better there's nothing stopping you from doing that. It's only you that is going to make yourself better. So 
I carried that through into my longboarding career. I was a professional downhill longboarder for a while. And most of the other racers, they were casual. They'd be out drinking, they'd be smoking weed, and just like watching Netflix and stuff when they're not riding. Me, I would get off work and I would go literally straight take off my work boots from construction and then put on my longboarding shoes and just go longboard. And I would be there whether my friends would be there or not. I would be there in the rain by myself, just hiking up and down, even when I didn't want to, because I wanted to become better. I think that's where I got most of my discipline and that self-feedback loop of if I put in the work, then I'm going to get a better result. Mm. I really love that. And I see no problem with your bragging about your own skills because matter of fact, I think a lot of people were feeling frustrated in the workplace when you're actually comparing yourself with some of the coworkers. So many of us are like, oh my God, like I feel like I'm pulling so much weight in this work. I think that actually draws a lot of people to go towards entrepreneurship because then again, just like you did with extreme sports, you found yourself being more in control of the outcome but it also comes with responsibility. And I don't know if you've worked with a lot of other people that are maybe at the starting phases, but do you see that this like new sense of responsibility that comes with entrepreneurship is a bit of a surprise for people that just get started? Oh, absolutely. And part of that is because the make money online industry, they pitch it as the opposite, right? Like in all their marketing materials, it's so easy. You're going to do it fast. And there's such a big success for all of our students and everything like that. When in reality, is so much more complicated, right? And the dirty secret of the make money online industry is that 90% of the people who buy these beginner courses don't even finish the course. So you can imagine the success rate of the actual students who buy these programs is very, very low, right? Well, as you know, I worked for Mindvalley for quite a while, and this was metrics we would measure about, you know, online course consumption. And your 10% is actually generous. 8% is the industry average for people that buy an online course and actually do it. Wow. So yeah, it's a bit heartbreaking. But at the same time, I don't know if that statistic is far off from other statistics for success, whether it's like you're going into sports or you're just going into entrepreneurship. Do you find that that kind of 8 to 10% is just a general number of people that find themselves going the extra mile and having that success? Yeah, and I don't know what it is, but like I can just speak from my personal experience. Like, I've always had some sort of drive to be the best at whatever it is that I want to do since I've been a very little child. And like with everything, like I was into drumming when I was a younger child and I was obsessed with drumming. I would just do hours and hours. Again, same thing, even when I didn't want to do it because I wanted to get better, right? So I've always had that and it's always shifted to different things, you know, and as an adult, that was business, right? But with a lot of people, I'm friends with so many people that just don't have that and they've as far as I can see, never had it with anything in their entire life. So I don't really know what it is that can generate that. I mean, clearly it's something, but I just noticed some people just have that and they apply it in all areas of their life. And some people just don't seem to have that drive, right? And I think that's so important if you really want to create something from nothing. That's what building a business is, is you are forcing something to happen in the world that does not exist, which is not easy. And it takes a lot of effort and focus, Yeah. right? So I'm not sure exactly what that thing is. Yeah. 
And you know, I want to speak very honestly, like I look and admire you. I find you actually have a lot more of the drive that I have. I do have some drive, but I actually look at you at a whole other level. And I found myself, you know, leaving the workplace, which I actually enjoyed the workplace in the sense that, you know, you have clear objectives. There's usually a mission or a vision and management that's kind of pushing objectives and structuring where your output needs to be directed. And I think there's a lot of value in that, especially if you're not used to setting your own goals, setting your own priorities and realizing that as an entrepreneur, like you're the one who sets the pace for everyone. And that's something I actually had to train. And I think the fact that you had these great habits, you ended up setting some very great leadership qualities for the teams that you built in the process of your agency, which is kind of where I wanted to bring this conversation because, you know, we are talking about selling and at some point, you know, you got into entrepreneurship and you had to encounter having to sell your product and service. You work with, I think, over 600 brands in the process. So take us back at the beginning. You decide to get into Amazon advertising, Amazon optimization for helping these brands. Who was one of your first clients and how did you sell them? Yeah, my first clients, honestly, mostly came from my networking. So these were people that I had met during my process of becoming an Amazon seller. So before I started this agency, I sold my own products on Amazon and that went okay. You know, in the first six months, I actually got it up to 40K a month revenue, but then I made one of my first big business mistakes and I got my Amazon account suspended and that eventually got sorted out. But there was like a 90 day period where Amazon was holding on to tens of thousands of dollars of sales that I had made. And, you know, I had just spent all of my cash flow on new products and all this thing. So I'm just in this situation like, hey, am I going to be able to pay my rent this month? What am I going to do? So in the middle of that, I just looked at my options. I could go back to being a carpenter or I could take these skills that I had created to sell my own products on Amazon and I can start doing some of those skills for other people. So I just reached out to some people that I knew in my network through Facebook groups you know, people, we went on a trip to China together and things like that. And those are my first clients. And from there, I started getting some testimonials and posting in other Amazon seller Facebook groups. And really, that was how we got our start for maybe the first six months. It was mostly just through networking and, you know, creating valuable posts on Facebook and then sending DMs to people who might be a good fit for my services. I find that very interesting because, again, you know, in the space that I'm at, I'm helping a lot of people that are just getting started as well. And I've noticed that for some people, yeah, those first stages happen a little more effortlessly. And for others, it's a complete roadblock. And so I'd be curious to know, what do you think made it so that by you sending direct messages or you going into Facebook groups where, you know, I'll hear some noise online saying like, stop going to Facebook groups to try to find clients, sending direct messages doesn't work, but you were able to have that kind of success. What do you think makes it different the way that you did the approach where so many others might have failed? Well, I think self-belief is a huge part of it. So if you believe that it works, you're going to keep doing it. And it doesn't matter if you put in, you know, two, three hours of doing outreach or whatever it is to get the result. You believe that if you send enough messages, you're going to get some clients, right? If you don't believe, if you listen to all these people who say that direct messages don't work, like don't post on Facebook groups anymore, then are you really going to put in hours of that effort if you don't believe that it's going to work, right? Like, If you don't believe in God, you know, whatever your religious views are, are you going to go home and pray to God tonight? Probably not, right? So belief is a huge part of it. And it totally still works today. Like, yeah, maybe Facebook groups and DMs are less effective than they were five years ago. But I know lots of people who do tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars a month in sales 
mostly through Facebook groups and DMs. It definitely still works. That's the dirty secret of marketing is almost everything works. Even cold calling, like the oldest thing in the book, still works, right? Maybe you're just not doing it correctly. You haven't put in your 1,000 hours to get really good at it, whatever it is. I think we're in a culture, particularly trained with the social media, that we give up on things because we don't get results fast enough. I mean, if I want to go somewhere, I can call an Uber and it'll take me a couple minutes. When I see it's like 15 minutes, I'm like, oh my God, it's going to take forever. And I feel like we've been trained to have results or at least a measurable outcome so fast that a lot of the things that we need to do to have success have to be repeated long enough and you don't see the results immediately. And so you have to have that belief. I totally agree with you. And uh, well, let me ask the question a bit more spicy here, which is, I hear a lot of people saying, send some DMs, put some posts, go out there and do this kind of like bootstrap marketing. But what do you think differentiates someone who's just doing it and it's like spamming versus someone who's doing it and genuinely wanting to get clients? So I'd say two things, understanding social nuance and your intention, right? So the social nuance thing is super important. Like I have like 70,000 Instagram followers or something. So my account gets a ton of random DMs from people. 99% of them are absolutely terrible, right? It just makes no sense. Like they're trying, they're trying to start a conversation like small talk or something, which it doesn't work through like a a cold DM to somebody, or they just like clearly want something or their pitch is off, right? Understanding the nuance of the context of you're reaching out to this person and they have no idea who you are. And also the context of sending a message as opposed to actually talking to someone, they're very different forms of interaction with people. That's something that like you really need to be a practitioner. You got to go in there and do it yourself and be messaging with people a lot to understand that nuance, right? Like most people who are in their 20s today have grown up with that. So they're probably more adept to that than older people, unfortunately. But that's the first thing is like you got to understand the context of the situation when you're reaching out to these people. And the other thing is intention. So if you're just randomly spamming out messages to people and you see that as like, the equivalent to handing out flyers to people. Think about that for a second. If you're on the street and someone hands you a flyer, what do you do with the flyers, right? Like I never look at a flyer. I take it out of respect because I don't want to be an asshole and tell them to screw off. That's it. I throw it in the garbage, right? And so just sending random cold DMs to people is the equivalent to the same thing, right? When I was doing the strategy, and this is still how I recommend to do it today, I was messaging very specific people So people I'd already interacted with, or maybe they interacted with my social media posts before, and then you're not some random person. Like one, you're showing up in their actual message inbox because they're already following you or something like that. And then two, like they're familiar with you. And the more familiar they are with you, the more likely they are to respond to your message and respond positively, right? So putting out that value in these groups and interacting with people, helping them in the comments and everything makes it so much better when you actually message these people later on. Yeah. Well, I love that you bring that up. And I do agree with you that these are the big things that we have to look out for. It was so funny because I was investigating community software. So one of these tech platforms that helps you manage communities and such. And I found it very interesting as I was reviewing it. It was actually called School, which is Sam Oven's new initiative. And as I'm looking at the demo videos, there's actually you actually on one of the community leaderboards for one of the products he speaks about. And it was showing that he was the top contributor. And as such, I already know that what you're speaking about is something you actually practice it. You're not just preaching it because I see you're very active in communities. And I agree when you become one of the top contributors, then there's a permission you have 
to be able to reach out to people, offer, and not just come as a cold person randomly DMing. You're actually going to be messaging them and they're like, oh yeah, we've noticed this person contributes, gives a lot of comments, provides value. And that intention is key to everything. So key. One of the things I speak about uh, in the Selling with Love methodology is like when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's when you can come from a place of love. Like that's the energy of love that's in play. And I find that neediness gets in the way of being able to show up that way. Because when you're very needy and like, oh my God, I need the clients and I must get a response and you become a bit more desperate in your outreach, I find that energy gets felt. And I'd be curious to know, like for you to be able to reach out, you were locked out of your Amazon, you were needing, you know, some clients pretty fast. How are you still able to come up with that, you know, intention that was, you know, trying to provide value as opposed to realizing like, oh my God, like I need money really fast. Yeah, well, I would say... It comes down to the one big benefit from my partying days when I was younger. I spent a lot of time going to parties and bars and, you know, all this socializing and probably killing my brain cells. But the one big plus that came out of that, I think, was a strong social intelligence. And I just knew, I just knew that the intention was everything, right? You see a lot of people posting on social media and in Facebook groups, and clearly their intention is to just get clients or just to like, you know, spam their billboard out there to the world. But I just knew that if I was valuable enough to enough people that over time, the reciprocation eventually comes back, right? Everyone knows these people that, you know, everyone just likes and they're always helpful and they, you know, never ask for anything in return. And everyone knows a friend that is always just like wanting something from them. And humans can feel that on a very nuanced and subtle level, right? It's hard to start to trick people, at least for a long time. So I just really understood that I think on a good level and that really helped me navigate in the beginning like before DMs became like a huge big marketing strategy like they are now that was kind of in the beginning of it nice no I totally agree and I think we can all relate to knowing those friends that just come to you and they have a favor versus people that are just actively always providing value so I like that you bring this up if you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. I wanted to switch it up a bit because you know, you've made your first sales, you got yourself out of trouble. Obviously you're still here and it seems like you're thriving as well. Um, but in the process of building this agency, you probably went from a point where you were doing a lot of the stuff yourself 
but then you started scaling and you started hiring a lot of people. And I want you to maybe share a bit more about that experience and, you know, getting people to start working with you. Did you find some similarities or major differences with the same way that you would recruit a client as opposed to recruiting an employee? Yeah. So getting my first employees, I started off very slowly and organically. And that's one of the beauties of the agency model is that you don't need money to start an agency. It's just really down to hustle. Like there's people in India who, you know, are living off of $500 a month who start agencies that end up being seven figure agencies. You know, I know multiple people who have done that from India. And so like literally I started with one virtual assistant and only part time. So this was like $300 a month or something like that, right? I didn't have enough money to commit to hiring people full time. So I started there. And then my first maybe three employees were all people in the Philippines. So much more cost effective, but they still speak good English. And then also some contractors here and there. So I would use Upwork and Fiverr and things like that. Whenever I needed something specialized that, you know, it's much cheaper to pay $50 or $100 once every couple months instead of hiring someone full time. And then the next phase of growth from that was you might want to call them full-time contractors, but it was more on the agreement of, well, I'll give you the actual example, was a photographer. And I can do photography myself, but I knew that I wouldn't have time to actually do it. So I made an agreement with a local photographer and be like, hey, I'll give you this amount for every photography project that you do for me. And so I only had to pay him when there was money coming in. And then that was super important for the first three or four months that we're doing it because the amount of photography orders that we had was really variable, right? It was only until later in the business growth where it's like, okay, we definitely have enough to keep a full-time photographer going. So it's, you know, more economical then. But in the beginning, it was worth it to maybe pay a little bit more to these contractors on an hourly basis, but not have the risk of the overhead of the monthly paychecks going out every single month. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that because in my way of scaling as well, started with virtual assistant and then getting contractors that are doing specific jobs that are very tied to the output and input of money and projects that are coming out and need to be delivered. Because once you start having that payroll, it kind of shifts your priorities and what you need to look out for. And now you have like a minimum expense you have to meet every month because others likelihood actually depend on your success in business. I know there's a part in your story that I think you actually really ramped up your hiring and your growth, but you kind of decided to make a change because things were not working out or things were just not aligning to your own values anymore. And I think that's a very interesting thing because most of us might be looking to start a business and we have this dream. It's like, yeah, I'm going to scale to millions of dollars. I'm going to have this team and it's going to be amazing. And so you've went on that journey. You've gotten there but it wasn't exactly as you had expected. And I want you to unpack that because I think an important lesson came from it. Oh, absolutely. So up until that point, I always had it in the back of the mind. I want a seven-figure agency, you know, 100K a month, like these numbers, right? These goals that all entrepreneurs aspire to break these numbers, especially in the community that I was in. I was part of a mastermind at the time of agency owners, and they would literally, you know, give out these awards to people who would meet these milestones, and we'd all share them in our groups and everything like that. So it's interesting looking back on it because it was the wrong goal because revenue is just a number at the end of the day right? It doesn't bring into account a whole lot of other things, including profit, which is very important. We started to run into some profitability issues as we're growing a little bit too fast. But then also, like the actual day-to-day of the business is going to be a lot different at that level than at whatever level might be more optimal for your lifestyle. So 
once we did grow, we grew past 100K a month in like a very short period of time. We doubled the business. And that felt really good for about a week until I realized how crazy things got. So we just doubled down on sales and marketing. And that's great that that worked. But the operations and team side of things really needed to catch up. We were unable to hire people fast enough or just onboarding new people. And then all these new people needed to go through a training period while also just like getting caught up on this huge amount of work that we had to do. And it just became really chaotic. And that's when it started to have a big toll on my stress levels. You know, I was already working as much as I possibly could and just working long days and I couldn't work any harder. It just needed more time to catch up. So that's when I realized that, you know, revenue was really not the right metric. We grew way too fast. And that actually had a lot of negative consequences. And at the end of the day, it wasn't really worth it because especially during that fast growth period, we were a lot less profitable because we had to take on all these other expenses to make up for this big overload of work and clients and get caught up on everything. So it's not like I had a whole lot more money in my bank account. And then I made a decision around that time that I reached that goal. I checked that off the list. That's cool and everything. But what do I really want from this business? And the answer wasn't to be a seven-figure entrepreneur or whatever it is. That's just for the ego. For me, it was, well, I want to have more freedom. And my freedom was getting less and less because my team was getting bigger and bigger. We had all of a sudden 25 employees. And I wanted to have enough money to pay for the things that I want in my life. And I already had that before I grew to seven figures. It's not like, you know, the difference in the amount of income at that point was not really changing the way that I was living my life at all. So then it became a question It's like, okay, so then why am I putting myself through this? Would it be so bad if we just were a little bit less aggressive on the sales team and we just kept things capped at a certain level instead of we always need to grow to the next milestone? Because as soon as I hit that seven figure milestone, it was like, okay, now we need 250K a month. And how are we going to get to 250K? And it's like, it was just pointless if I actually looked at my real goals and motivations for doing it. It's so fascinating you share this because one of the conversations I had actually with Yannick Silver. Now, he runs an entrepreneur group called Mavericks, and he was a legend, still is a legend, but was very, very popular in the online marketing space in the early 2000s. He was one of the OGs, right? Uh, ran in a conference, was called Underground. The conversation I had with him, when he started and he was doing this, he was super excited. He's like, had goals. It was like, get the Aston Martin, get the Rolex, right? And I asked him a question that, I want to ask you as well, because I was really surprised with his answer. And the question was, do you have to go down the path of chasing this vanity goal to be able to come to a place where you realize that you have actually more important goals that you had set for yourself? In my personal case, yes. Which is really funny because I grew up in a household that was, you know, maybe lower middle class. Like, you know, we definitely weren't poor, but we really didn't go on any vacations. Like the first time I even left the continent was like when I was 18 years old because my grandparents paid for it. <laughs> so I had definitely had some money mindset issues to overcome. And I always knew this, right? There's so many books and there's so many famous people you hear that like money is not the answer. And I really, it's funny because I believed them. And it was like up until a point where I was making enough money to afford some of these things, I had no interest in it. But all of a sudden it's like a guy who grows up with less money and you have money, I went through all the same stuff. You know, I started buying like $800 jackets and just like random stuff and very quickly realized that I don't feel any different. You know, and 
But it's so funny because like if you would have asked me before I went through all this business stuff, I would have had zero temptation. I would have thought it's stupid. But it just all came at the same time as the extra money, right? Like it's like once you have the possibilities, like all of a sudden it's possible and you can just do it if you want, then you kind of got to figure it out again. Right. So at least for me personally, I think you got to go through it. It was funny because when I asked him that question, he didn't know the answer. Because like we can sit here and tell people like, don't go and chase the money. It's not going to be what makes you happy. But there's something that says, no, you have to go and have a taste so that you can realize that that's not the flavor you're looking for. You know what I mean? So I find it very interesting. And thank you for the honesty as well. And yeah, I do think that there's kind of a it's almost like playing a video game where you got to get to the finish and then realize that maybe it's not even important, but you still got the, the path to go and discover it. And there were some learnings and things you had to discover along the way, which makes the journey itself important. But things are different now. I know you've actually sold Kenji ROI, and I'd love for you to kind of tell us about how that process is, because that's also a sales process. You've decided to shift things around and you actually sold your business. So what was that process and how did you find a buyer? I'm just genuinely curious. Yeah, so I think I first realized I wanted to sell the business maybe about eight months before the actual sale. And the way that I sold it is a little bit atypical. So one, very few agencies actually get sold. It's not your typical business that gets sold, like a SaaS company or e-commerce or something like that. So I didn't even know if I could do it. I couldn't find many resources or examples of people who had done it, but I knew it was possible, right? So this kept me from doing anything about it for a couple months after I knew. And then one night I just really decided like, you know what? I want to move on to something else. I've been doing this agency thing for six years. I know I don't want to grow it to, you know, a much larger company than it already is. I'd rather do something with less employees and just something new. I'm ready for a new challenge. And then that same night I sent out two DMs. I just randomly thought of someone that might want to buy my business and they were both people who had similar but larger agencies in my space. And I just sent them a DM. Hey, I want to sell my business. Are you interested in having a chat? One of them ended up being the buyer. I did other things too. Like I worked with a business broker who it's their job to go find people who are interested in the business. But ultimately, it was one of those two DMs I sent on that one random night. And that was an interesting lesson to me because I had all this resistance stopping me from doing anything about it for two months. And it was actually two DMs away. The first two people that I thought of, right? And like, that was kind of an eye-opening moment for me, right? And it's like, it was literally right there. You know, there's two things I really picked up in our conversation so far is first off your discipline and your leniency towards very hard work to be able to get something done. Chasing for the mastery has brought you to a place where you have competence, confidence, and really helped you, you know, build the things you've done, which are incredible. And the second is really your appreciation for networking, social dynamics, and the power of relationships. And I think those two things are just so critical in any kind of business. And the fact that you've been able to kind of tap into that, you know, be aware of those, and actually put you in a place where no matter what kind of venture you're into, it seems like you have a foundation to make things quite successful, which brings me to the new Danny. So you've gotten out of the Amazon agency business. And I know you've been starting a lot of fresh stuff. I'm seeing you put a, a lot more content, putting yourself out there. So what holds for the future of Danny as you're now agency free, sold and trying these new beginnings? Yeah. So right now I'm really focused on just putting out a lot of valuable content and just getting myself out there because I really believe that content is like the new version of oil, 
right? Like we've seen some really huge examples in the past couple of years of people who have built massive YouTube audiences that are monetizing them for like nine figure companies out of like the first year, right? Mr. Beast, Mr. Beast Beastburger is going to do nine figures revenue its first year existing, right? Like that's incredible. And then also from my experience in the agency, I understand that these assets like blogs and YouTube channels that grow over time and compound are worth a lot once you can build them, but are very difficult to build. They take time and a lot of consistent effort to get any traction. But once they do get traction, then they can really take off. So right now, I'm just really focused on just putting out as much valuable content as possible. I'm working with a few clients on the agency side to help them grow their agencies just to kind of get that figured out. But I'm keeping that really small for now. I just really believe in putting out the value into the world and that it'll come back to you in some form or another. And I don't really know where that is yet, right? But I'm enjoying the creating content part of that. To me, that's one of the things I always enjoyed the most about the agency was doing my podcasts and, you know, just creating content and just, it's just more fun for me to do that. And then in this type of business too, I don't have to have as many employees. I know people who they make $12 million a year profit with seven employees, right? So I just think it's a better fit for where I want to go in my life now. In the beginning, it was an agency because I had no money and I needed to hustle and learn my business chops to make something happen and put it out into the world. The agency was a great vehicle for that. But I just feel like I'm ready for a new challenge. I'm in a different position in my life. You know, I'm 31 years old. My values have changed a lot. So this is more my speed with my next phase in life. That's really cool, man. I'd be curious to know because the whole content space, whether it's, you know, blogs or social media or YouTube videos and such, feels like it's maybe, I wouldn't say necessarily threatened, but there's a very interesting new player to the game, which is the rise of artificial intelligence. And I'd be curious to know what your opinion is with the role of artificial intelligence with the transformation of the space of content marketing. Yeah. I mean, it's going to revolutionize things for sure. Now it's still really early days. Like I think People are using it to, you know, write YouTube video scripts and certainly blogs. You know, the SEO guys have been using this for, you know, well more than a year before ChatGPT ever came out, right? There's lots of tools around creating blogs that have used it for a while. I think it's going to be one of these experiments similar to social media where it kind of just disrupts a lot of things in the world and then we have to figure out how to deal with it like they're talking about how to create signatures in chat gpt created content to see if it is created by chat gpt right so like teachers know if their students are cheating or not and things like that but ultimately i think it eventually will get to a point where these ai videos and voices will be indistinguishable from you actually doing it right and then we have to question like okay so do we actually have any kind of advantage creating our own content or can we get the AI version of ourselves creating the content, right? So, I mean, eventually it's going to get there. I think we have, you know, years to come until it gets to that point. But, I mean, it's a whole crazy experiment that's certainly going to disrupt the way that content is created. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm also actually anticipating this. I even tried to AI my voice. I had to read like 200 sentences to see if it could actually digitize it. But the technology isn't there yet. So you are speaking to the real Jason and Danny at this point. But like at you least said, you think <laughs> for now. But yeah, I just see how it's I like the analogy of comparing it to the social media space because that changed fundamentally how we interact with each other. I think AI is going to make a space change, uh, not just to content marketing, but pretty much every single industry. Danny, 
Every time I bring somebody on the show, I ask them one question that I love to get answers from since you are on the Selling with Love podcast. And so I have to ask you, what does selling with love mean to you? I think it's one of the most important things to keep in mind. One thing that really helped us in sales was to only sell to someone exactly what is right for them. So on a call with one of our prospects, we would have a range of things that we could sell to them. And it's tempting to try to sell them your most expensive thing, whatever's going to be most profitable for you. But what served us better, what actually got us more sales in the end was understanding their situation, their needs, their budget, exactly what would be best for them, and then matching them to whatever actually would be best for them. And if that means that not working with you is the best thing for them, then referring them to someone who would be, and then just calling it a day. And then maybe that person ends up referring someone else to you later on, right? But if you always push for, this is someone I need to sell to you and I want to sell the most amount of money, people can feel that on a subtle level, right? So to me, selling with love is only selling to someone if it's a good fit for them and actually matching them with your service that is the best fit for their particular needs. Danny, this was a fantastic conversation. I love your perspective as well on selling with love. And for everybody tuning in, we discussed a lot of thing around Danny's journey, and I thought there's so many nuggets of information that you can take away from this. Number one, I've repeated this again, and I want to say it, which is the habits of being able to go and master your craft, going and working harder. While everybody else is resting, you can master your craft. And with all of the AI stuff happening where the marketing part, the sales parts are going to become easier and easier. And so what's going to make you stand out is how much value do you actually provide? And I think Danny's example here saying that he would always practice when it was back in extreme sports and the way that he did his business when it came to optimizing for Amazon, then running an agency to be able to do it, scale it and have success doing it made him very qualified and an expert in what he does. He also spoke a lot about the power of relationships. We've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but again, you might just be a few connections away. Are you contributing into communities? Are you just trying to take from communities? By being value-oriented and service-oriented, you find yourself being able to nurture relationships you might not know when they might come in handy in the future, whether you're building your first business, starting an agency, maybe doing coaching, consulting, or perhaps even just being a content creator and looking for collaborations over the long term. We might all be chasing the gold. Maybe there's some financial goals you want to reach, whether it's making a six-figure income, building a seven-figure, eight-figure business. And yeah, we encourage you to go on that journey, but you might want to make sure that your foundation around what personal goals you want, what foundation really gets you excited to get up every morning, because when you're clear on that, you might realize that the goals you have might not be aligned to the lifestyle you want to have. And Danny, of course, went on that journey to be able to discover what is the way that he wants to structure it. And I think that is just part of our entrepreneurial journey. So thank you so much for tuning in to the Selling With Love podcast. Danny, your contributions were amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And with that, go out there and keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling With Love podcast.